I'm still reeling from being called a sexist because Twilight shit. <laughs> did, did somebody say that to you on that tweet? Yeah. Um, she, they say they're iconic movies that are still popular to this day. You just hate girls. Oh, jeez. Like, I, I, I don't know what praising Kristen Stewart makes me hate girls for. Like, I'm, I'm confused. That's, that's bizarre. So I said to Matt, like the only answer I could come up with to respond would be just get the fuck out of here. Like, I've, got, I've got nothing positive to say because that is insane. Stan Twitter is awful. Oh yeah. yeah. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everyone's splendid and keeping safe. And, and unfortunately we, we are Sans Stew Hall. He has fallen down a well and he cannot get out. So what we've done is we have brought in our good buddy, David Evans. Dave, how are you this evening? I'm good, chaps. Thanks very much for having me once again on my favourite film podcast. Lovely to hear. I know, yeah. Right, we'll get straight into the news. This week, it begins with an ending. So the relationship between two of the biggest things in film has come to an end. So, the Dark Knight trilogy, Tenet, Inception, films made by Christopher Nolan for Warner Brothers. This relationship has now come to an end. From next year, he's going to be working with Universal Studios. He's doing a film about Robert Oppenheimer and the development of the atomic bomb. Is this a reaction to Warner and HBO going to the day and date streaming, do we think? Because Christopher Nolan was very outspoken when that happened. Mm. So do you think he's taking his ball and going home here? I think so, potentially. I mean, it's been widely criticised across the majority of forms of social media at the moment. And it wouldn't surprise me if it is. And I think for filmmakers, especially whilst it might not be the be all and end all in terms of revenue, I think the box office take still has a massive impact on the theoretical success of a film, if not the numerical. Um, And I think this whole streaming at the same day as cinema way is obviously impacting that. And I think it's getting the wrong people, wrong people's back up the wrong way. So, yeah, I think it is probably a direct result. Yeah, I mean, Nolan's very, like, you know, he's a very traditional director, isn't he? And I think given how this, you know, the, the film world is going, I think we're only going to see more, you know, day-in-day releases and more, you know, perhaps it's in you know, there's a short-term cinema release then it goes on streaming. The only thing I would think about with Nolan, though, is perhaps does he have to eventually come to realisation this might this might be the future now? I mean, we've seen, like, for example, Spielberg. I'm sure perhaps Spielberg w- was against streaming at one point, but now he's doing stuff for Apple TV. Mm-hmm. If you said to Nolan, here's double the budget that you want for your next project and for creativity, but do it for Netflix, would he turn it down? It's a good question. I mean, we've had Patty Jenkins has come out against this, and Denis Villeneuve has also said that you know films need to be seen in the cinema. But 
I mean, let's not forget for a start, we are still in a period of time where there's a sickness ravaging the world. Is it a little bit too egocentric of these directors to assume that their films deserve priority and you should just suck it up? I mean, part of me thinks that it's unfair to say that you must go to the cinema to see it when you may not feel ready. And plus there's the other question about people who may have... um, an actual physical difficulty in getting to the cinema. Should we not be catering everybody? Isn't a film for everybody? It's not just for the the cineasts. Mm. That's a very fair statement, to be fair. I think when you put it like that, I can get it. But as it's very much on my mind, as it being released um, earlier in the month, you know, this, this, this hurts independent cinemas more than it does corporation cinemas because... If, say, Bond came out in the same fashion, cinemas, independent cinemas that are relying on a big budget film to come in and generate some revenue, there's even less of a chance for them to to get that sweet, sweet Bond cash if it's if it's released on the same day on a on a on a streaming platform. And I think I don't know, it's a tough one. I get where you're coming from there completely, but you know, cinemas are, are more accessible than ever. You know, there's all sorts of screenings for different disabilities and stuff now so I, I think you know and rightly so we're moving in a better direction for that so I, I don't think that's as much of an issue it would have been 10 10 15 years ago yeah I agree with Matt on that one I think also I wouldn't be surprised if this is a bit of a tactic as well would it be surprising you after one film somehow Nolan ends up back with Warner Brothers if this film he's doing now is, is, a, is a success just like his other films mm. It's a good point. Very good point. Uh, Speaking of Warner Brothers, they are preparing another spin-off from the Robert Pattinson-led Batman film. Um, So they've already announced that we'll be getting a Gotham Central film. This will be focusing on the corruption within the GCPD. But Deadline are reporting that Penguin is looking to be getting his own series. Uh, it'll be a Scarface-esque look at Oswald Cobblepot's rise. We don't know if it's going to be Colin Farrell at this stage or if it's going to be someone younger stepping into the role. I'm quite interested in that. I love Scarface and as everyone seems to know, I love Batman. Are there any other villains that you'd like to see get a spin-off show? Maybe a six-episode miniseries? Can be Batman, can be anything really. What is, is there anyone that you quite like the idea of a, a villain-centric TV series, Dave. I mean, firstly, Colin Farrell looks completely unrecognisable, doesn't he, as the Penguin in the, <coughs> in the trailers, yeah. which is incredible. Um, I think villain-wise, if we were going to do some kind of series, I'd like to see either a Darth Vader, um, like stories of you know just post. Um, can't remember, what was the third one? Called? Revenge of the Sith, pre New Hope. See like mm. a full-on action Darth Vader, like we saw in. Um, I forget my Star Wars films now. What was the uh, Rogue, uh, Rogue One? Rogue One, that's it. You know, that full-on action one. And maybe even like a Palpatine version, mm. a younger Palpatine, seeing how we actually became the version of Palpatine we saw now. But on the other flip side as well, I'd like to see... Sto- if we're going to do like villain or hero side story series at the moment, I'd like to see things that are prequels that are more kind of after a film is set so we get more of that character. I know it's difficult with villains because most of the time they end up dying or getting arrested. (laughs) But I think sometimes 
sometimes we're a bit prequeled out, if you know what I mean. We've had a lot of mm. prequel series, yeah. maybe let's try and find a, a, a different angle. But if we if we did a prequel, it's Vader or part two for me. Mm. Matt, anyone uh, in your mind? Yeah, so I mean, I want to see more of um, Agent Smith from the Matrix side mm. of things and more like yeah. the architect and the building of the initial Matrix. And I don't know if that will even be touched upon in the new one coming out. I know the trailer was dropped as time of recording earlier in the week. Um, and just because it's fresh on my mind and I've, and I've said so much um, to you, Andy, how much I enjoyed Series 10 of The Walking Dead, I'd like to see a... Negan, uh, Negan arc that is post him losing his wife and how the kind of saviors got set up, and a bit mm. more digging into that because we don't really get the payoff with that. When so, when he goes mad and he ends up actually got killing someone for the first time, it's it's all completely justified. So he's not become a bastard at this point. Um, yeah. so I'd like to see at what point he then turns into killing Glenn Negan, you know what I mean? Like, what what, bring, mm. what brings him to that point? Uh, so I think that'd be fun. Yeah, that sounds great. Mine was, um, I'd really like a Bane series. It would have to be a prequel one. Ooh. But I think Bane is such an interesting character that they still haven't really scratched the surface of, and they can really tie it into a Prison Break-esque TV show where it's him and his early days growing up in the prison. They can even bring it into some kind of wrestling style show as well because obviously the lucha libre mask and everything so the wrestling geek inside of me wants a little bit of that to be involved in it too mm. so yeah be bane for me i think would be my uh my tip could we not get an arnold schwarzenegger mr freeze prequel series oh that'd be good that would be really good <laughs> well, mr the freeze is brilliant such an interesting character that they've never really done justice to in, no. in any of its uh, incarnations mm. but yeah I, I do that like would be that, good actually. to be fair yeah. Mm. Uh, after many years in development hell, it appears that the Twins sequel is finally moving ahead. Uh, it'll be called Triplets, and it's going to star Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger again, and they're going to be brothering up with Tracy Morgan. Uh, Tracy Morgan is one of my favourite human beings. I am absolutely delighted with this news. I think it's fantastic. So with Ghostbusters back after 32 years, Twins returning after 33 years, are there any other 80s films that are in need of a sequel 30-plus years later? Matt, anything? Well, I'm amazed that they it hasn't already been done. And I'm, I'm just reading it. I think it's rumoured, but I don't think it's actually been agreed. Um, it would be Gremlins 3. I can't believe it hasn't been done mm. earlier, to be honest. Yeah. With, yeah. Technology yeah. In this, with technology the way that it is and this obvious demand and want to revamp these these films and um i think it's it's got to happen and it will happen i just i can't see it having the same charm unless it is puppetry or or like you know animatronics mm. or anything like that has to be doesn't it yeah if it went if it went down like this the cgi route i think it would just lose that that not intimacy that's not the mm. right word but the playfulness of it all yeah mm. would you go because i think the first one's more horror-ish and the second one is just a straight-up comedy. Where would you go with the third? Which line would you fall on? Bank heist. Just <laughs> <laughs> completely changed the genre yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I, I think I think you'd have to stick with comedy. Now, the only reason I say that is because, you know, when that, when that film was out 30-odd years ago, 
it may have been considered ever so slightly scary, but we're so desensitized now. I don't think you could seriously go down that route and people look at it and not think that it's really shit. Whereas if you go down to comedy, comedy, you know, comedy is universal and, and, and doesn't change that much, really. So I think mm. you could, there could still be an appeal if they went down the comedy route with it. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Dave, what would be your 30-year-old sequel? So I think I've thought about this one a bit too much, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Goonies because it's one of my favourite films. <laughs> one of the thought, thoughts I thought of was you'd bring back the original cast. You wouldn't make it like, oh, it's the next generation. It's their kids who go on an adventure. You bring back the original cast, but you almost make the storyline about how, which is very similar to what I think they're slightly doing with the new Ghostbusters and slightly with the new Matrix film, the rumour about the storyline that you have it that no one actually believes them 30 years on that this thing happened. There was a pirate ship mm. and they found all this mm-hmm. treasure to the point where, you know, perhaps the local government kind of slightly cover it up and they have to try and tell all their friends this story about this did happen and no one believes them. Even maybe people start saying there was like a gas leak and that's why people saw like, a you know, a pirate ship. Um, or even then to the point then that some people of that original cast start to question it. Oh, did we... Did we actually do that? Was that just in our imaginations? And perhaps then you bring in, again, relatives of, you know, the bad guys in that film who were out for revenge because their family name was tarnished because of what happened. And they then have a newish style of adventure. That's what I would do. Excellent. I like the sound of that. I need to see Goonies again. It's been yeah. so long. I, I just don't remember enough of it to have an opinion on it. I remember enjoying it, but. Yeah, he needs to revisit that one, does. Uh, my choice was going to be Labyrinth. Like, I love Jim Henson's Labyrinth. I like Ooh. anything with puppets and puppetry. And I think that's such a great film. Obviously, I know David Bowie's no longer with us. So, mm. I mean, you could maybe have it that uh, Jareth is passed away and Sarah and her younger brother have to return to the Labyrinth to... I don't know, for his funeral or something, and then shenanigans happen. Or you could just recast him mm. with someone, maybe. I, I don't know. You know, they are doing a sequel for that one. Are they? Yeah, I saw a, a couple of years ago they did And whether it's been now lost in development, but a couple of years ago mm. they did announce that they were making a sequel for Labyrinth, which, oh, I was, which I was quite pleased with. But I, like you, I'm quite, I've got a lot of childhood memories about the first Labyrinth. Mm. And I'm a bit worried that it's one of those things when you make a sequel, you don't want it to almost ruin what the first brought, if that makes sense. So, I know they've done quite a few comic books and graphic novels set in that world with Jareth, and they've been exceptionally good, but they're all very much Jareth-centric, so they would be difficult to replicate without Bowie. And part of me does think, I don't know if I'd want to see it without Bowie in that role. So I, I don't... I think I'd like to see more of the world, and maybe not that character. They'd end up getting... Lady Gaga are in as a they would they would they, 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 honestly they, would, they legitimately would because she's she's obviously so Bowie centric as well yeah um, especially mm-hmm. for her and it would almost make some kind of weird sense I, I was going to say it would yeah. make annoying sense wouldn't it for that casting and music's yeah. a central part of it isn't it that that the abstract music and that's what like you said that's why Bowie was so good in it because it was his style of music ultimately. Mm. So, yeah, just don't, don't ruin it, please. Don't ruin it. <laughs> uh, speaking of long breaks between sequels, Mad Max spin-off 
Furiosa has been delayed again. This time, May 2024 is when we're apparently going to be getting the film. It will be directed by George Miller again, so that, that's something at least. And Anya Taylor, uh, Anya Taylor Joy will be playing a younger version of the Charlize Theron character. Um, also set to star Chris Hemsworth and Yahya Abdul Mateen II. Are we excited to see this? I mean, it'll be nine years after Fury Road by the time we get to see it. it will there still be a desire for Furiosa, do we think? Mm, I think so. And, you know, how many times have we said, God, that was 10 years ago, bloody hell. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? And, and it only takes Channel 4 or ITV to just put put the original on. And then everyone's, you know what I mean? That's that, cause that's what they do, you know, to generate interest. They know a film's coming out, so they'll put, they'll put an earlier one on or something. And we're there again. I, I mean, I don't think if, I think if that film was released two years from, from Mad Max Fury Road or, or 10 years, I don't think it's ever going to like, you know, get people queuing on day one release. So I don't think, mm. I think it's going to be the same diehard audience that want to see it anyway, regardless of when it comes out. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those niche films again in some ways, isn't it? I mean, I, personally, I'm not as fussed. I was never really that entrenched with that world. I, you know, I enjoyed Fury Road, but I won't be queuing up, as I say, to go and see this. I might watch it once it comes out on streaming, but apart from that, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, we've got some Nick news. Cage recently confirmed he will be taking his first steps into the Western genre. Uh, he's going to be starring in The Old Way and a film called Butcher's Crossing. He'll be filming these two movies back to back. So after a busy 2021, it looks like Nick Cage is going to be keeping this podcast going through 2022 <laughs> as well. <laughs> so with the Western genre ticked off, what's next for Nick? Like, are we going to get him in space, or are we finally going to get that uh, Elvis biopic following the Wild at Heart movie? Do we think? Oh dear. Where, where's Nick going next? What do you think, Matt? Um, well, I've got space horror as um, as the next genre to tick off. Nice. Um, and I don't necessarily want it to be um, supernatural or an alien. I want it to be kind of murder at the high seas in space. You know, paranoid, <laughs> schizophrenic on board a ship that isn't going home for 20 years. He ends up snapping and killing them off one by one. It's almost like a slasher of horror in space, maybe. Excellent. I quite like the idea that Nick is just going to start going around all the different franchises. So he will <laughs> appear in like Fast and Furious and then like um, maybe do an Evil Dead movie and then a Jason movie and just pop up in random different uh, franchises. Dave, where would you put him? Uh, well, so you, you guys obviously know more about his uh, back catalogue. So I was surprised just then when you said he hadn't done a space movie. I thought so, he must have done a space movie by now. Uh, but has he done a musical yet? No. I think not, he's done that one, has he? No. no. no so um... I'd, I'd put musical down. I'd like to see Nick Cage go full musical, basically. Full belting yeah. out the hits. Did you? See, I think I tagged you on Twitter today. Do you see what he said? Well, I don't know if it was today about him saying he's never going to retire. Yes, yes, I saw that earlier. Like, why would he? I mean, he seems no. to be having the time of his life now. Everything he's doing, it's very much. Well, I wanted to do a film where I was silent, or I wanted mm. to do a film with a pig, and he's like, okay, great, crack on, mate. <laughs> so yeah, he's 
live the high life, you may as well. <laughs> Dave, would you go? Um, would you have him like go Les Mis, or would you have him go more Jersey Boys? What kind of route oh. are we talking? <laughs> you see, I would. Why don't we just let them redo Les Mis, and we can swap him out with Russell Crowe? Because you know that he would probably do a better singing than <laughs> Russell Crowe in that one. Oh, I think I'd be more intrigued about him doing more of a Jersey Boys kind of thing, mm. or playing um, John Travolta's the character John Travolta played in Hairspray. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd yeah, like to see him class. do that. I think yeah. Cage has got one of those things where you can just see him do any kind of role and you you go, yep, he'll do that. That's great. Well, yeah. you say that. Um, I've only been okay. to two musicals in my entire life. Um, <gasps> one of them was Rock of Ages. Um, okay. Which, oh, no, no, three actually, because I when I went to see King Kong on Broadway. Um, but then the other, which he definitely can't do, was um, the story of Mark Boland from T-Rex. And I think that would be an absolute car crash. <laughs> You imagine. I'd like to see him maybe do. Um, there's a musical called Starlight Express, okay, uh, <laughs> which is about um, the best way to describe it is it's based about trains, but all the people in the musical are on roller skates, so they sing while they're skating around. Mm-hmm. And back in back many years ago, when it was Andrew Lloyd Webber had it in London, he built a, a special stage that was like a massive racetrack around the audience. So oh, they right. were singing while they were racing, but I'd like to see Nick Cage roller skate and sing as well at the same time, dressed up as a as a colourful train. <laughs> that <Nice>. sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, he would make a good Phantom as well, because I could really mm. imagine him hamming it up in the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. <laughs> oh, the possibilities are just <laughs> boundless, aren't they, for Nick Cage? <laughs> Uh, so that's the news done. Uh, Matthew, have we had any fan questions in this week? We have. We have. We have. So, uh, T. Keeney wants to know, what is your favourite book-to-film adaptation not including graphic novels? So I think that screws you over, Andy, because I know a lot of yours are um, <laughs> are uh, graphic novels. But, yeah, what would your um, favourite uh, book-to-film adaptation be? Um, the first one that springs to mind would be High Fidelity, the mm. Nick Hornby book that was then uh, John Cusack and Jack Black. Oh, I love that film. I love the book. They're both they're different enough that they're almost their own entity. They've both got their own feel. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when they try to recreate it too closely, they fall down. So this one, I think, I think that one works. And the other one, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Original with Jim yeah, uh, yeah, Wilder, yeah. classic. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fair. Dave, what about you, mate? I feel like I'm going to be slightly cheating here, but I'm going to have to say uh, the first Harry Potter book. I feel like it feels wrong saying stuff like that just because <laughs> of how you know big the films have become, and they're obviously going to be big. But I think because that film really did feel like they captured you know the imagination mm. of that book, but also with when with Chris Columbus directing it, it felt like a proper mid nineties family adventure film. Like yeah, if yeah, you yeah. had put, if you'd said that film come out in the nineties, you'd fully believe it. I thought it was great. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And I was saying to you, Andy, I wasn't there the other day and I, I, I saw your face. Well, your, your, your expression didn't change at all. So that's how I knew you weren't interested. Cause I said, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's the 20th anniversary at, at uh, City oh, World yeah. soon, they're playing uh, Harry Potter. So I, I was like, I'm oh, definitely going to go see it, definitely go see it. Dead excited. <laughs> You're completely stoic about it. And I was just like, 
like, it doesn't have that impact on me. Tough crowd. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it was released. I think I'd have been like 17 or 18 when it was released, so it, it really wasn't made for me. I've read all the books and seen all the films, but I don't have that uh, that that love for it that you pair do. Obviously, do you think, Andy? Do you think that the Harry Potter films went in a better direction by I think seven or eight when David Yates took over, where he seemed to slightly not diverge from the book, but he had very much a different take visually? Because there was a couple of times in scenes, I think in seven, where it was like these things weren't in the books at all, but they seemed to work. I don't know whether you've got any thoughts on that. I think visually they got better. I don't think the storytelling ever really improved. Mm. Um, I mean, for my money, the best one is the fourth one, um, Goblet of Fire. Mm. I think that's the best film, but I think the book's a mess. Like, so I, I don't know. Yeah, like the books for me is like the the fourth one and the fifth one are terrible books. Mm. They're a good story, but they're just really badly written. Um, I think my favourite film, though, is probably Goblet of Fire. And mm. then I, I quite liked Half-Blood Prince because I think that was my favourite book. I thought that was a decent one with a good twist at the end. I really? can't, so sorry, I can't stand um, the second one, Chamber of Secrets, as a film. <laughs> because I, there's something about it, I just can't stand it. I think it's because it's 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 got the Back to the Future three element of it. It's always on, like for some bizarre yes. reason. Like ITV two just have the rights yeah. just to that one, um, and it's always on. Certainly, always because it's one of those where it's this real proper Sunday afternoon film. Yeah. It just stays on, and I've just seen it loads of times. Like I don't need to see this frigging basilisk fang in the book ever again. <laughs> Um, and they got, I think ITV went through a phase where they just put on all the films back to back every yeah. eight weeks. Or if they get yeah. to the point where they've just got a massive gap to fill in the calendar, they go, Harry Potter, put it on. Which one? Doesn't yeah. matter. Put it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one of uh, Matt Cunnington tweets here. Uh, if Star Wars was rebooted tomorrow, who would you cast as Luke, Leia and Han? No original cast members allowed. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. Okay. Old boots. Because for me, uh, Han, I would pro- I'd go for someone like Oscar Isaac. Yeah, like I, I think him. he's, yeah. but he's in Star Wars, so I don't know if he would count. Mm. Mm. Like he's he's a very handsome dude, and he's cool as fuck. Like yeah. he's the modern day Harrison Ford. So I don't know if he would count for for Matt's um, rules there. So, so maybe Chris Pratt, who doesn't have anything to the the franchise. I mean, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's got that cheeky chappy about him. He's almost slightly he playing that role in Guardians, isn't he? As well, yeah, he, he is. Yeah. Uh, who it's... and he wanted Luke and Leia as well, did he? Yeah, it's a really tough one. That is, I mean, Luke, you've got to have like a a young naivety about it, I guess. Whoever plays him, um, so I don't know who you would have. Really, I mean. Tom Holland, maybe. Mm. I was like, thinking maybe you know, earlier. Um, go on, Matt. Sorry, go on. No, just because he's kind of you know like he's still got that young baby face about him that you could you you could probably still see that maybe, but I'm not sure. Who do you guys think? I was going to say, uh, hopefully, I get this right, and it's going to be a, a double casting from a film coming out very soon um, for Luke. Is it Timothy Chalet? Is that how you say it? Uh, Chalamet. Yeah. Chalamet. I, I thought. Of- 
I, I like Timothy Chalamet. I've, I saw him in oh, Call Me By Your Name, I mm. think it was. He was very good. I'm not sure if he's innocent and naive enough to play that role, though. Mm. He seems, even for a young guy, he seems to be quite... He seems to have a maturity beyond his years, I think, almost. And then for Leia, again, from the same film that's coming out, is it, is it, I always get it wrong, is it Zendina, Zendaya? Zendaya, I, I like Zendaya. her. She would yeah. be my choice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I, I don't know who I'd cast as Luke myself, but I think Zendaya is a, a top cha- uh, shout. That's a really hard question, that is, mm. to be fair. Really um, good, good one, though, really good one. Yeah, exactly. Todd wants to know what's the proudest. What's the thing you're the proudest of sneaking into a theatre? <laughs> For me, it was when a friend and I each snuck a twelve pack of beer. Wow, in. that's a, that is a, that is a <laughs> that's an effort. To be fair, I yeah, remember. I think I've said going. this story before. Um, when we had uh, went to go see um, the King's Speech, and my mate brought in a six pack of crisps, not one big bag, <laughs> but a six pack. <laughs> um, that was, uh, and it was, it was like really like dead poignant moments as well. It'd be like, like just as it's about to speak in front of the crowd. <laughs> oh, that's horrendous. What do you think? Andy, well, you, looks... you don't bring anything in. Sorry, uh, Dave. Andy, you no, don't bring no, no, anything no. in. You, you don't believe in it, do you? No, I, I remember a friend of mine snuck in a two litre bottle of Coke down their trousers. <laughs> they were really pleased with themselves over that. It was back when, like, wearing baggy jeans and combats was the thing. So, yeah, they managed to get some uh, get a two-litre bottle of Coke in. Wowzers. <laughs> I think I'm a, I'm, a bit of, I'm a bit of a stickler for, like, um, not bringing stuff in. I, I feel like I have to buy something there. But I think the one thing I've probably ever done is I think I've, like, snuck in a, a six or nine box of chicken nuggets, which is good. <laughs> nice. That's terrible. Um, it's... The other day, though, I was really pleasantly surprised. The last time I was um, in Cineworld, it was for, um, God, what would it have been that I saw? The Ten Rings. And people legitimately, when the screening ended, took their rubbish with them. I don't know what's changed. But people took, there, was, there wasn't like loads of popcorn on the floor. People got up and just took their rubbish. I was like, oh, my God, has, has the world changed in the last <laughs> two years? Like, this is ridiculous. I, it was, I was quite impressed. Very good of them. Um, and the final uh, one, Andrew Wright, what is the scariest scene that you guys can think of that wasn't from a horror or a sci-fi film? Okay. Ooh. Well, while you guys are having a think, I'll tell you mine. Okay. Now, this is, a, this is a massive spoiler now if you haven't seen the film. It's been out long enough, so you should have. But um, the film 50-50, um, have you guys seen that? Yeah, yeah. I've Great not seen Is that the one with... Seth Rogen and yeah, yeah, Joseph yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically, it never it never sells itself. The film that it's it's ever going to be a happy ending. It's very bleak throughout. It's a comedy um, and a romance and, and all that, but it's very bleak. And then when he goes in for his surgery, you d- at least I wasn't as the as the watcher. I wasn't convinced he was going to come out, and that it wasn't scary in a. <laughs> I'm scared mm. sense, but in terms of a sense of dread, I, I remember watching that for the first time and thinking, fuck, this is really like hitting home, this one. And like, I remember he he starts like for the for the first time, he really, really lets his emotions take care, take a hold of him. And um, he cries as he sees his mom as he goes into surgery. Um, and that, that hit me hard, man. So that would be for me, not from a scared, like mm. jumping out at your sense, but yeah, mm. yeah, that was tough. 
the one that springs to my mind, uh, Whiplash, mm. the absolute terrifying intensity of J.K. Simmons, where he's just eyeballing um, Miles, Miles, it's not Miles Davis, I can't remember his name, Miles Teller. Like, it genuinely feared that he's just going to attack him at any minute. And you know at the back of your yeah. mind he's not going to. But it's just the intensity that he brought with him to the, the set that day was incredible. Like, it does genuinely make you fear for the guy's safety. Yeah, my, my well, mine's a bit of a, yeah. So mine's a bit of a silly one, but I remember this very much as a kid in the second Indiana Jones film when the tri- I'm going to say the tribal chief puts his hand on a guy's chest, and all of a sudden this massive beating heart is in his hand. <laughs> I remember as a kid that really scared me to the point where my dad used to tease me by trying to put his hand on my chest and be like, "Calamar, shook today." No, dad, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Oh, I remember even to this day, like it is still free. that, and also in Ghostbusters two, when the um, the bad guy, um, his face starts pulling out from the picture. Vigo, yeah, and ego, and I'm like, oh no, 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 yeah, Vigo is a scary in. dude. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, Matt, you've seen Jungle Cruise, Dave. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it yet? I've not seen it yet. No, there's one bit where there's a snake jump that you don't expect that got me like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I fully wasn't expecting that and i was in the cinema so it was a little bit embarrassing but <laughs> yeah that, that's also a good one <laughs> well at first and i was saying what when was roman reigns in Indiana jones but then it clicked <laughs> then it clicked then it clicked i got it i got it no that's uh that's the questions for this week so thank you very much uh guys and gals as always for getting in touch and hopefully if you have a question we will answer it so get it in Lovely, super, thank you very much. So we'll move on to the non-film question this week before we start to uh, think about movies. So in memory of the passing of Sarah Harding, I want to know who is the best girl group and what is their best song? Dave, start us off. Right, so publicly my answer should be Spice Girls because my wife still to this day is a massive Spice Girls fan. Um, (laughs) But I think she's downstairs, so I can get away with Mm -hmm. saying no. Um, I think think this is a really good, but also a really tough question, given um, what's out there. I am, though, going to go in the completely wrong other direction and say uh, the 90s um, duo Cleopatra and their song Cleopatra coming at you. Because they had that one song, <laughs> it was great, and they were, and they were done. And they were done. So one and done. Thanks very much. Great song. I'm going for that. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, so just you can, if obviously, if your wife doesn't listen to this, the Spice Girls are releasing. I think is it the 25th anniversary of the album? They're yes. releasing them on vinyl, coloured vinyls. Ooh. So that might be worth a, a Christmas present if. Um, if you need something. And then yeah. I just need to buy a record hey, player and I'm done. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, that, that's, as a present, though, that sounds great. I mean, I'm tempted to get it for myself, to be honest. And it would have to be the Posh Spice one, obviously. <laughs> Matt, who are you going for? Well, there was um, there's two answers, really. Um, well, the first one, and... It, it didn't even click at first because I put Girls Aloud, Sound of the Underground on because that's an absolute toe tapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But the real answer is uh, The Supremes with Baby Girl. 
Uh, right, baby love, okay. baby love, not baby. Good baby choice. love. Um, yeah. I'm really going through a proper Motown uh, renaissance at the moment. Um, I've always loved 70s disco, always loved it, but I've never really been into Motown. And all of a sudden, it started to click, and I'm starting to understand why. And I'm really getting into it at the moment. So, um, the Supremes have been on in my car quite a bit on my way to boot camp. <laughs> quarter past five on the way like in the morning so if you see a um a blacked out citroen um on the way to penn in wolverhampton and you can hear <laughs> the supremes you know it's me <laughs> excellent yeah i mean much like you i i, I loved the girls and was like legitimately loved mm. and they were excellent send the underground belter love machine belter um the Promise, loved it. I mean, I even got to see them live twice. Like, I properly liked them. Uh, but no, my answer was going to be the Renettes. I was going to take mm. it back, hoping that you two wouldn't. But, yeah, the Renettes yeah. be my baby. As much as I hate uh, Dirty Dancing, as we've established on this podcast. <laughs> um, be my baby. And, like, and to be fair, the whole soundtrack to Dirty Dancing is immense. And Be My Baby, I remember going to see Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. I don't know if you guys remember them from yes. about a decade back. Saw them at Leeds Festival, and they came out to Be My Baby. So surrounded by people who hadn't showered for three days, <laughs> like mostly rockers and indie kids, all singing and dancing along to Be My Baby. Like It's just the kind of song that seems to hit everybody it's not one that was just sort of pigeonholed to a specific genre i think it's something that everyone seems to love mm. so i will put those three out on a poll where after this episode goes out and uh, we'll see which one is the best it's gonna be cleopatra i'm gonna just fold it for you now they're gonna come <laughs> at you would um would Stu have had bewitched Ah, he would have definitely had a shit one, wouldn't he? he? He wouldn't have picked a good band. It would have been someone awful. <laughs> like, if he could have got away with it, he would definitely have had steps. I have seen yes. him dance into tragedy. <laughs> like, properly going for it, giving it socks. So, yeah, Stu, Stu does love his 90s cheese, to be fair to him. <laughs> so that's the non-film question. We'll go to the hot take corner. Now, I've actually changed it because it was going to be something completely different until Mr. David Evans was coming on. And it's one I've been sat on a little while specifically for your introduction. <laughs> so the hot take is that Marvel should have ended at Endgame. Now, I know Dave has got a lot of notes on this. So I'm going to come to you <laughs> first, Matt. <laughs> um I don't necessarily think it should have ended at Endgame, but I think we needed a... a a long I think we needed time apart. I think we needed a break. I need to find myself. And it's not you, it's me. And <laughs> basically I, I just need it, yeah. I think we needed a break from it. Um fatigue had set in by that point and Endgame and Infinity War felt like like okay, it's been a long slog, but this is this is phenomenal now. And at that point we just needed to cut ties for a bit and and and, and want absence make absence make the heart grow fonder, as they say. Um, yeah. Whereas now it's become it's become FIFA and Madden, and it's become SmackDown. Shut your mouth. Twenty twenty two, whatever it is, I don't know. Well, no, they had SmackDown versus Raw. That was it. Um, and it was just every year. It was the same thing over and over. And it's getting a bit tiresome now. And I know that as 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 fans, you know, 
we have to allow them now to build up new characters and that takes time and that takes effort and that takes minutes but fatigue's kicked in big time Mm -hmm. would you have like firstly would you have had like a two-year break or is that not enough and second question would you reset the universe and just have everybody back at the start or would you just pick it up from endgame again I think you'd have to pick it up because there's too much there's too much effort has gone into what they've done so far and as we know they like to shoehorn nostalgia in at every opportunity so you wouldn't be able to do that if they re if they read you know just the the irony being click their fingers and erased it all um <laughs> but I don't think you know I think that they just needed a a kind of 3 to 5 year hiatus and get everybody wanting it again and build it back up, like, you know, build it slowly, drip, drip feed teasers and trailers and stuff, and then make it happen. Yeah, that's totally fair. Go on then, Dave. Tell us what okay, you've got. I'm, right, I'm going to not try and waste everyone's time. When I saw this question, I was like, right. <laughs> because, firstly, 100% agree with everything Matt's just said there, in terms of I think there is a, especially now that we're starting to get this new phase, as it were, going through, I think we are starting to see a bit of fatigue I 100% agree with this. I think it should have actually ended at Endgame. Um, and I would have gone to the world of saying, that's that universe, that universe is done. Let's have a bit of a break and let's start again with a brand new re- reimagining of these characters. Um, so, you know, you could do things like, for example, you could. this is where you could start introducing X-Men and Fantastic Four and say the universe mm-hmm. starts with those characters, not... You know the Iron Man and Iron Man, Iron Man and uh, and Captain America, um, and I think then you know then you have the possibility in the future to then do your multiverse crossover films rather than you know then just building up different characters. I think my only thoughts of this were, um, and I think I, this, I kind of hinted this hinted this with a question I sent to you guys quite a while ago in terms of, and it kind of links back to what Matt's just said. I think as a generation we were brought up with the set characters that we've got to know we've been able to then be emotionally attached to them so when we got to Endgame which I felt was the perfect ending for that set span of films um, then you get to the point where you know for example people like Danny Jr and Chris Evans have left now are we now are we as an audience patient enough to mm. give a new set of characters time for us to be emotionally invested to them as much as we have have done with people like Danny Jr. and Chris Evans and Scarlett Hunter, I'm not sure. And I would rather, because of this demand from Disney, especially with Disney+, Plus, and they know there is a, a craving from this fan base, myself included, to keep wanting more, are we going to get to a point, like Matt's hinted at, that now we're really like, gee, we only had a Marvel film last month, and now we've got another Marvel film, now we've got another TV series. And also I think... The final bit of this, just to flip it as well, is that I think as a film fan culture as well, we're seeing a lot of this on YouTube as well, where everything is overanalyzed. So you get a trailer comes out. It's let's break down the trailer. Let's find all the Easter eggs. Let's try and now guess what this film's going to be about. And then, especially with a Marvel TV series, now that we do that breakdown to every single episode, and this is what this means, and this is what might be happening, and this is what I think will happen. When us as fans start at that point trying to decide what we think is going to happen when it doesn't happen <laughs> we then think it's not a good series and I think there's a danger that Marvel's success might start to become their own downfall 
that we as, as a fan base pro- are probably not appreciating the film or the TV series. We are just using it as a way to see what might be happening next. So we are yeah. now mm-hmm. starting to see these films or TV series rather as actually, that was actually quite a good film now. Actually, as, no, it wasn't good because it didn't have the version that I predicted would happen or it didn't mm-hmm. have that cameo or it didn't have that Easter egg. And like Matt's just said, if they don't start giving some breathing room between films and TV series, we are going to get to a point in a couple of years where people go, can't be asked for this now. I can't mm. keep up. Totally. Mm. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking on Google at the moment. So we've got Eternal, Spider-Man, Thor, Doctor Strange, uh, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, all due out within the next two years. That's eight films in two years on top of the last two films we've had in the last four months. As It, it might have been that long, to be honest. It's a lot. And as you said, people aren't appreciating it because when you watch a TV series, especially in the modern world, the way you watch a TV series, you don't appreciate a single episode. You appreciate the whole series or the whole yeah. season of a show. And these feel like they're just episodes of something else. So you're only going to appreciate it once you've got to the end and you're looking over everything. Mm. Mm. And we're never going to get to that point where we're going to be looking over the whole history of it because they had their opportunity with Endgame. It was called Endgame, for fuck's sake. (laughs) The perfect time to end it. (laughs) So, yeah, I I would very much like, would have liked a a five-year break. And they could have come back and just recast everybody or just took back to day one like they did with the Ultimate Comics. And, you know, mm. there's plenty of plenty of comic book sources out there where they could have done absolutely anything and just retconned the whole thing. And, and just, but, sorry, just a quick, bef- mm. before you carry on, it, it was also probably an opportunity to do things that Mar- and DC are doing now where they could just do standalone films that had no connection to other films. Like you could yeah. have done like a Planet Hulk or a um, Iron Man twenty twenty film set in the future. You could it would give Marvel a creative opportunity to do try stuff out, and if people mm. like it, I know that t- I've seen something recently. They're talking about they may actually do um, a live action Marvel Zombies film now, probably because of how well received the What If episode did. But there's an opportunity there just to say let's just do a zombie film randomly, doesn't have yeah. to have any connections. And let's just do something we can we can't usually do, and let's see what happens. Mm, I completely agree. I mean, like when I read comic books, I like the the mini series, like the six epi- the six issues that are completely out of continuity, because it's something from the the monthly or fortnightly comic books. It's a, it gives you a different look at the characters, and I think that's a really good idea. And whilst DC, as we've discussed on here, have been quite hit and miss. I like the fact that they they tend to have their own flavours, whereas Marvel, they're all basically Marvel films. They're all basically the same movie. They all feel pretty much the same. Whereas DC, I think you do get that. I mean, James Gunn doing The Suicide Squad, that was like one of the most James Gunn films I've mm. ever seen. Whereas his version of Guardians, yeah, you could tell it was James Gunn because it was fun, it was silly, but also had that little bit of... Not nastiness, because it obviously isn't nasty, but it had that edge to it. But it was still, ultimately, a Marvel film. 
it almost felt like he was working within the parameters, whereas with DC, they just said, there's the characters, do whatever the hell you want. And I think that works. Mm. And I think if Marvel incorporated that, that, they could run away with it. And if the reason they can't do that is because everything is done to this overarching Kevin Feige storyline, you can't deviate from that path. Mm. And that's sort of where they're losing me a little bit. That's why I'm losing interest in it with each passing film. It's just getting worse for me. So we'll move on. And I think Marvel might feature in the next question. <laughs> what have you been watching lately? Dave, what have you seen lately? TV uh, or in the cinema? So literally last night I went to see Shang-Chi. Now, when I went to see it, in my mind, I had the two different film reviews yeah. for the cage fighting. <laughs> and I, I, could tell, I could tell whose was whose. I would say, because I, I went into the, the film for the first time quite a while, while not being that fussed about seeing mm-hmm. this film. Um, but I heard some, you know, decent reviews. So I thought, you know, I, I will go see it. And also as a Marvel nut, despite the fact of what I've said, I will probably go see all these films and TV series that come out. Um, look, I, I, thought, I thought it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. I think I agree with Matt's take of what gave it credit was it didn't actually feel like a Marvel film a lot of the times. It, it's strange he had some visual elements to it that made me think this doesn't feel like Marvel. Again, it did then go into copy and paste near the end of the film. Um, you know, it, it had its comedic moments, which, you know, I think people do like uh, for Marvel. But yeah. It was fine. I thought it was better than um, Black Widow, which I was strangely disappointed with. Mm. Um, more so, I think it was the, the issue with Black Widow, apart from David Harbour and um, uh, uh, um, Florence Pugh, were fantastic. I just felt like it was a film that was filmed too late. I think it was filmed before and released before Infinity World. It would have had more of a, a punch to mm. it, if that makes sense. But yeah, no, I thought it was fine. Um and a couple of other things I've just seen recently. There's a film on Netflix I saw recently called Ode to Joy. I don't know if you've yeah. heard about this one with uh, Martin no. Freeman. So uh, I think it was only came out a couple of years ago. So Martin Freeman basically plays a New Yorker who has a condition where he faints if he experiences any strong emotions. So like fear or stuff like that. But the big one for him is joy. So if he has any kind of massive sense of joy, he literally just faints. So he has to have like the most boring job. If he walks to work, he has to listen to completely depressing funeral music. <laughs> and it's and it's about how he basically falls for this quite outgoing girl. And it's like, how can he have a relationship and feel happy, but not faint every five seconds? And that's quite <laughs> a, fun, a fun, fun, fun watch. And then finally, um, on Disney Plus, I've been watching that Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin. Mm. And Martin Shaw and Selena Gomez. So again, this one's been me and my wife have been watching recently. It's really good. It's like a series, and it's basically these three people who live in a quite a, a posh um, apartment building in New York. Um, and there's a merger, obviously, in the building. But they all three of them find out they don't really know each other, but they all find out they're all fans of this film, um, true crime podcast. So they okay. decide that they are going to solve the murder in the building whilst also filming their own true crime podcast about them trying to solve the murder. <laughs> and it's a, it's a clever mixture between comedy and crime drama. I would even say to the point where it's less comedy and more crime drama. Um, and all the characters obviously have their own secrets as well, which start to slowly come out as the series goes on. 
Oh, what was so, that called again, uh, Dave? So it's Only Murders in the Building on good old Disney+. Plus. Okay, that one's going on the list. Sounds excellent. Also, Ode to Joy sounds really good. I mm-hmm. loved him from The Office, so yeah, I will be uh, checking that one out as well. Matt, what's been on your telly box and or cinema screen? So, um, I so at time of recording, obviously, it was quite you know in the news as it should have been um, the twentieth anniversary of of nine eleven. So, I watched Netflix's documentary um, nine eleven and the war on terror. Um, I texted you, Andy, and said, mm, mm-hmm. "I'm not sure about this. This feels like a bit of a patriotic piece." And I thought, mm, if it's going to go down this route, I'm definitely not going to carry on watching it. And I was massively mistaken. Um, it is a proper critique into um, America's response to the war on terror and how it treated and how it um, engaged in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. Really, really entertaining. Well, not entertaining, but it was really um, worthwhile and um, eye-opening watch, really. And I think it was it was surprisingly critical of of america during that time um something that i wasn't expecting so it was a good watch to be fair you know back when it back when it happened in the years you know post that i would you know i'd have been how old would i have been how old am i now so i'd have been like in my early (laughs) in my early teens in the years after 9-11 and that's when you into fucking conspiracy theories and what and all that kind of stuff so in my Mm. head like 9-11 was very much the start of me being awake, Ooh, I'm in the, I'm out of the matrix now. <laughs> um, whereas now, in reality, you know, um, I'm older and wiser. Like, I, I was glad to be able to watch this and actually see the, actually what the response was, the political landscape that was going on, and stuff like that. So it was, it's a good watch, to be fair. Um, the other thing that's on my radar at the minute, and I'm watching it through Sam, as I do a lot. Um, good Girls, it's called on Netflix. Yeah. Um, now I have no shame in saying I really, really liked Desperate Housewives back in the day. Um, <laughs> it had a, it had everything, man. It had sex, it had murder, it had it just had everything. It was class. Now this isn't quite the same vibes as as um, as uh, Desperate Housewives, but it's a crime comedy drama about um, three uh, not mid, not quite middle aged, but you know. Um, and they're not all housewives either, but like free women with kids that get into get into a crime syndicate, I guess you could say, and how they all exist. Um, Christine Hendricks is in it, um, who um, a lot of people love for various uh-huh. reasons. Um, <laughs> but also, um, oh, I forget her name. Is it Anne? Uh, what's her name? Anne, uh, sorry, May Whitman, who plays um, Anne Veal from Arrested Development, or Bland, or Egg, <laughs> Egg. as um, as she's known. Um, and to see her play not her character in Arrested Development is, is quite like she plays a really like extrovert character, and it's bizarre to see. Um, but it's one of those really where I wouldn't say it to Sam's face, but it's it's quite good when it's on. And like I'll just dip in and I'll just ask her. So you know, in the, in the last two episodes, I've missed kind of what happened. Where's yeah. the hang on? Where's all this? Where's all that? Um, and it's actually quite decent. Yeah, Mrs. E, <laughs> what Mrs. E watches that as well, and I have the same thing. Like I don't really watch it, but then I'll go, oh, what's going on here? And oh, why is that going on? Uh, it's also got um, the lady who played Donna in Park and Rex as well. Oh, uh, Retta. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, they, they sound right at my street. I love all three of those from. There were the shows, so I think I'll be adding that one to the list as well. Uh, so I have been watching, 
I've recently started rewatching The Golden Girls, which I haven't seen since <laughs> the 90s. And it's, it's fucking brilliant. Like, it's proper funny. Um, that's on Disney Plus. So I've been watching that. On the BBC iPlayer, Greg Davies' new sitcom. Um, all six episodes are on there. It's called The Cleaner. And he plays a crime scene cleaner. If you like Greg Davies, you will like this. It's He's written it, so it's very much in his voice. It's great fun. In film-wise, I went to see Candyman, loved it. I went to see Shang-Chi, did not love it. Um, But I did see Vacation Friends, which I didn't expect to like it, but it ended up being a really good, fun film. It's got John Cena and the dude who played um, the friend from Get Out, who's a, a comedic actor. And they become buddies whilst they're on some kind of holiday in Hawaii. They're a complete odd couple. They they don't seem to get along. Um, the dude from Get Out is getting married to his wife. And John Cena seems to think that he should be the best man. So he then crashes his wedding. Hilarity ensues. It's, like, it's a proper sort of run-of-the-mill dumb comedy. But mm. I've got to say, John Cena's really funny. Like, it oh, pains me to yeah, say it because he he's such an average wrestler, but he's a good actor, <laughs> and it does it pains me to say it. But yeah, Vacation Friends, it's available to stream. I can't remember where it is, but I'd say check it out. So I, it was a good way to waste it, 100 minutes. I think jo- John Cena's last two or three films has really set himself apart now as an mm. actor. I think you know in Suicide Squad he was really good. There's a film called Is It Cockblockers? Oh man, yeah. that's classic. That he's, yeah. he's great yeah, it's in. Really good. Um, and obviously now he's got his first leading role in the Peacemaker TV series. I'm going to put out a bold question, just given where I'm currently seeing John Cena's tra- trajectory at the moment. Do you think in the next, I'm going to be trying to be kind, five years, do you think that John Cena will be seen as? I'm not saying as big as The Rock. I'm not going to go that far because no one's going to ever be as big as The Rock. But how people see The Rock now as the biggest star in Hollywood, do you think in the next five years people will see that as John Cena, that he will perhaps get to that level where he's gone? He's no longer the wrestler, John Cena. He is the bona fide, he will get any part he wants, Hollywood star? No. And I'll tell you for why. Because he's a shit wrestler. Yeah. Because, got, because, <laughs> because, because John Cena is the Bret Hart of his generation. He carried he carried the company in um, in a creatively bad period, whereas The Rock is so popular because of he was in the best part of wrestling yeah, yeah, yeah. in the last 20, mm. 30 years. And I think that carried with him then into his films in that he was super cool. John Cena isn't cool. He's having to build his cool credibility from scratch. Um, you know, the women don't want to be with him and the men don't want to be him, John Cena, but they do with The Rock. <laughs> And he's going to have to build yeah. that up from scratch if he yeah. wants to be that, and I don't think he will. Yeah, I, I think John Cena very much knows what he is. So if you look at him in Trainwreck, in Cop Lockers, and in this um, Vacation Friends film, he plays someone who thinks he's cool, but he's actually a bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. And, and he's the same in The Suicide Squad, really. And I don't think that will translate as far and wide as The Rock, who is... As Matt said, like we all want to be The Rock, or at least yeah. be friends with The Rock. He is the coolest man alive, and and John Cena will never be that. He is a nerd, and I think as long as he leans into that nerdiness, excellent. I, I could see him being maybe the 
I don't know if I've got this the right way around, Matt, you may correct me. He could be the Sylvester Stallone to the Rocks, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hmm. I can see that, yeah, I can get where you... Yeah. Yeah. I get where you're coming from with that, yeah, to be fair. And I think if you were to poll, if you were just to ask a simple who's who's the most famous, who's the coolest, Arnie beats Sylvester Stallone in, in that race anyway. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right in that scenario. Where do you put Batista then in that analogy? Because he you know, my, well. you know my feelings about Batista, Andy. <laughs> After he after he snubbed me at Woolworths, I, I remember listening to that. That was great. So, so, and I, I'm not I'm not a huge I'm not a bigger um, a fan as Andy is. I mean, I think he's he's good. He's good, but he's not. He's he in that um, Arnie Sylvester Stallone analogy. He very much is a Steven Seagal <laughs> for me. So I, I'm going to go completely the other way. He's Pete Postlethwaite. <laughs> because his best work comes from character-driven stuff, where yeah. he's a, a character rather than just a meathead. Mm-hmm. So like, we watched Final Film for our less popular podcast, the Wolves Fancast, and Final Score was fine, but it was a, a bit... Eh, it was just an over-the-top actioner. Whereas when you've seen Dave do something where there's either comedic or dramatic, where he's got a bit of something he can sink his teeth into, I think he's a good character actor. Mm-hmm. It's just that he looks like an Adonis, so you expect him to be an action hero. Oh, Andy, honestly, you're as bad as Stu you are for when he talks about bloody Emmy Martinez and he calls him Emmy, <laughs> not Martinez. <laughs> he just called him, oh, when Dave does something. <laughs> but it, it, I say Dave dismissingly because it, it shouldn't be his name. Like, yeah, yeah you are right. <laughs> It would be even better now if, if he walked behind Ma, um, Dave. Sorry, not Dave. He walked behind Andy now. Fancy you, Andy. Yeah, Dave. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm recording. I'm recording. <laughs> Dave, get out of the room. I'm doing that. <laughs> Incredible. Right. Matt, you're up first, please, mate. Um, okay. Let me quickly check my notes. Uh, as I've forgotten what my question was. Now, um, is there ever a... Um, justifiable reason to use the it was all a dream ending Andy this goes back to a film that I've already mentioned today Labyrinth Mm. that was all a dream that was all within Sarah's mind as she was trying to make up a story really for the fact that she was stuck in on a Friday night to look after babysit her brother really that's what happened I think there is a place for it but it very much it needs to stay in kids films i think it's a really cheap ending if you're over 12 years old so mm. I, I do think it, it has to be pitched to a specific audience i mean i remember as a kid writing a story which had that quote unquote twist ending uh, that's fine in primary school but you do that in secondary school and it's just not gonna fly it's oh, a cheap yeah. it's a cheap out isn't it I can imagine the teacher being reading through all boy story and be like, turns the last page, what's gonna happen? <laughs> Andy damn it! <laughs> it <wasn't> <laughs> if I remember correctly, I, I think it had like I met Steve Bull or something like that, like it would have been wolves related as well. <laughs> oh man, Dave, what about yourself, mate? Is there, is um, there ever a good a good reason for this? I think kind of into to what Andy says in terms of a cheap thing, I think people 
now know that they don't want to go down the Bobby Ewing Dallas in the shower. It was all the dream moment because it kind of cheapens the the film. I think if you've got that slightly fantastical world that you've created, then it tunes into the whole thing about being in a dream. I think you are almost robbing the audience if you then say at the end somebody wakes up and they just imagined it um, mm. as it were. But I think if you are playing on the concept of what something is so mind-bending that it feels like a dream, then I think you're allowed to then use the the dream aspect as an okay. ending, which then perhaps has another twist of it wasn't a dream at the end, and then you you leave it on that. Well, of course, one of the one of the greatest films of a generation in Inception has that yeah. ending, or mm-hmm. does it? Um, yeah. So there is a place for it. I mean, you know, I put down on my notes the only ever good one is The Wizard of Oz um, in in terms of actually pulling it off. Um, and one film that we're going to talk about on up- upcoming horror episodes, and I don't think Andy's actually seen it, so I'm not even going to say the film, um, but that, that has an element of it was all a dream. I, I think, I mean, the first thing I think of when I think of it was all a dream, I think it was Crossroads. It's like a soap from like the nineties, <laughs> where yeah. like it ends at, like in a supermarket with some woman on a checkout, just going, oh, like, you know. And I like you like, say, for, like, you... I thought you were going to say the Britney Spears film then for a sec. No, 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 no. <laughs> not quite. Um, I think yeah, I think Andy, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Unless if it's used in a kids' film and it's used as almost a device to promote the use of imagination, then it's absolutely fine. Anything post that has got to be done really carefully mm. for it not to absolutely shit. Yeah. Bed. I mean, have you either of you two seen Swiss Army Man? No. no. Uh, that's starring Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, and mm. he plays he plays a corpse that Paul Dano uses to escape from an island. But actually, it's all about Paul Dano's mental uh, breakdown. So technically, it's all a dream is how it ends. Yeah. But it's done in such a way that. It, it doesn't cheapen the experience. It explains the experience. Yeah. You've got like Life of Pi, which is sort of, sort mm-hmm. of that. You know, it's not that it was all a dream, but it was all fictitious. And yeah, yeah, there's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But we, I think you've, you know, Jacob's Ladder is quite famously like, you know, it's all, it's a death dream, which again, I think they do it in such a way that it, it gives it a meaning rather than making it. Uh, invalidating the story that gets yeah. there, I think it adds something to it. How do you feel uh, then? Go on, go, Andy. Now you finish. I was just going to say, I think if it comes to the end of the film and you're back where you started, a la um, American Psycho, I'm okay with it. If something happens that completely changes a person's life, and then it just goes back to, oh no, that didn't really happen. That's that's where it becomes cheap for me. Mm. You're removing the element mm. of what the story was actually about. How do you feel then about the ending to the 90s TV series, British Empire? I can't actually remember the ending to it. No, I used to love the it. British Empire as well. So I, I never saw the ending. I remembered, like you know, like sometimes you like Google, oh, what, how did that series ever end? Mm. Um, and I remember being shocked to find out that the ending was um, that... You know, he was going about his day job and then all of a sudden it phased out to him on a bus and he wakes up and he realises he gets off the bus to do his, the first day of his job at the leisure centre. <laughs> and everything you'd seen in the series before was a dream of him imagining what it'd be like if he was working there. 
that that's incredible for such a niche, <laughs> weird, <laughs> oddball of a show. <laughs> Obviously, the, the famous TV series that was all a dream is your favourite TV show ever, Matt? Lost? Um, oh. wait, well, uh, it's not quite, is it? <laughs> Not quite. That's, that's, Go on, defend uh, it. No, 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 no. It wasn't all a dream, though. I mean, everything. The famous line is, "Everything that happened happened." But they were all dead. And it wasn't. It was so all didn't, a dream. Did it? And everything that happened happened. They were in the afterlife. They were in purgatory. It was everything that happened happened. Yeah. See, that Not feels cheap. That that's why I've never gone back to end it because I know that nothing that happened there was. That's why, I, that's why I really struggle when I revisit it. Like, I kind of get to the writer's strike episode and then, like, call it off, call the whole thing off. <laughs> mm. That was where I tapped out in real time. Um, so that's where I'd need to go back to. And it's just not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. Mm. Mm. Right, so my question is the one up next. I'm going to go negative on this one. So recently on a night out with Matthew here, Hello. I said that The Rock always makes a film three stars better if he's in it. So I want to know if there's an actor who makes a film worse just with their inclusion. Dave. So I, with this one, had to say um, I have to go post-2012 for this one because I think this actor's back catalogue has a good amount of films where they are very good in it. Um, But post-2012, Bruce Willis... Because you, if, if you look at what Bruce Willis has done post then I think the last, I'm, I'm looking at 2012 because I think he did Looper, which is, I thought was quite a good film and I thought he's quite good mm-hmm. in. Um, but post, and if you look at his filmography, you kind of go, what happened? Like, what? Like, why are you, what's happened to your stock to make these BC list films, which you wouldn't even watch? And therefore, does that bring down your credibility because that's the kind of films you're only being chosen for so yeah i mean yeah bruce willis for me i I couldn't imagine what you would pick him for now i think he's going to be in the new Mm. expendables film that they're making but that would be maybe his first biggest role in a film since then Jeez, I mean, I'm just looking at his latest films. So he did, he was in Motherless Brooklyn, which apparently is really good, and that is on my watch list. And then we've got films that range from a 3.0 to a 4.3 on IMDb, which I know what. Oh, sorry, a 2.5 is his lowest in that period of time. So just in the last two years alone, he's doing nothing but dirge. Mm. It's almost like he's gone bankrupt and he needs the money at this yeah. point. I completely get that because he he hasn't done anything of worth. He's just phoned everything in. I mean, even in Glass, I didn't think he was great. Yeah. He was the weak link in that film. Mm. And I didn't think that film was quite as bad as what some of the critics have uh, come out with, to be honest. But I think that's a a very fair choice, to be honest. Matt, who do you hate? (laughs) Hate? I mean, hate is such a strong word. But I'm I'm really... And I'm really not a fan of Sophology brand ambassador um, Owen Wilson. Oh, uh, that, that's kind of shocked at that. Yeah, I just think like he's he's incapable of playing anything other than just playing himself, and I find it really irritating. And then for that, so for that fact, anything I see him in, I just think Ugh, like you're gonna you know exactly what you're gonna get. Like if he if he like went if he did a Seth Rogen and like 
shaved his head and became a neo-Nazi in a film or something. Maybe I changed my mind. But I think you're always seeing the same character, like no matter who it is, even in Starsky and Hutch, like you're still seeing the same character over and over. No, that's my, maybe it's my hot take corner. I don't know, but uh, you know, I can't ever think of a film where I've gone. God, if Owen Wilson was in this, it'll be better. But I can tell you a lot of films that I've seen him in that he's made it worse. <laughs> it's his friendship with Vince Vaughn that gets me because I, mm. I, I mean, I've said on here a few times I don't really like Vince Vaughn, but he's done enough good that I can let him pass on this one personally. Um, my answer is I had two. So Ruby Rose, I think he's absolute dog shit actor. I don't get her popularity. It might just be because she's attractive to some folks. Because you hate girls, Andy, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently hating bad films makes me a sexist. But yeah, yeah, Ruby Rose, I think he's a really bad actor. I don't get her popularity. She is the weak link in um, John Wick, which is a fucking excellent film. But as soon as she comes into that fight scene, it all feels really stilted and not at all like the rest of the film. It detracts from the movie. And the other one is James Corden. I mean, it's <laughs> that, that's no real shock, is it? But yeah, yeah. That's... I, I hate him. I just, he's the worst. I think with James Corden, it's like he could be an amusing actor. He could be. But he, he wants it so bad that he just, he, he goes too far. And it just really puts me off watching films with him in. He crosses it's, that line in everything he does for me. It's the casting. Like, he, he just appears in, like, in a major Hollywood film. You think, why? Like, I appreciate yeah. that, you know, he's, he's got a very successful late-night talk show, um, which, you know, again, when that when that happened, you were that threw a lot of people thinking that this isn't going to work. But it did, and he's very mm-hmm. popular over there. But I remember watching, even before I watched it, when I saw the casting, um, Ocean's 8, yeah. And you will start watching thinking, this is actually fine, this is a good film. And then when he turns up you think, What the what mm. you could have had a, you could have had a lot of people in this role. <laughs> Why have they gone for James Gordon? You could have had mm. our own Wilson in the role they did. Yeah. And it would have worked. <laughs> so mm. I mean, The History Boys is a decent movie, mm. um back yeah. from mid two thousands. But even in that, he does spoil it by just being so extra in everything he does. He just takes it to that. He just hams everything up and it detracts from his performance. And I just, I can't get over it. It's like unforgivable. The prom, I should have loved the prom. Like it's a campus tits musical. That's fucking, that's me to a T. I love that (laughs) shit. And he was in it and he just ruined it. Like it should have been a gay person playing that role. Instead, it was him trying to be the like remember when graham norton used to be like camp graham mm. norton when he was on channel four when he used to play the character mm. that's what he was channeling and it just it crossed the line into offensive because it was him but i think i, I think i remember messaging you andy when i saw that film on netflix with the same point about I, it's a great film but i don't understand the james corden um casting yeah. and i think i said to you billy eichner would have been perfect, be perfect in that yeah. role absolutely yeah. So yeah, fuck James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave, it is your question next, please. Okay then. So I'm I'm asking about the role of the gay best friend in films now. Do we think that that role is now quite outdated in today's films, 
or do we think it still serves an importance of showing diversity and promoting LBGT plus um, in cinema? What do we think? It's 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 difficult because mm. it's both outdated and important because I do think that uh, it's difficult to talk obviously because we are three straight men here. So I don't want to like talk for the whole of the gay community, but I imagine they want a bit more than just being someone's, you know, go to when they're upset with their boyfriend sort of character. But you are right that, you know, people, and, and it's the same, not just for gay people, but any minority, they need to be represented on film and they need to do more for it. Um, recently, obviously Disney finally made the, the jump into having gay representation in a film, which was in Jungle Cruise. So Jack Whitehall's character, which is another straight white man playing someone he's not, um, he comes out to The Rock, but he never actually says the words that he's gay. He just says that... Um, what was it, Matt? Something along the lines of... He was basically... Uh, he, was hated, he, was hated for, he, he was hated for the person he loved, and it was there was an inference... Yeah, I just kind of feel like that's Disney doing the absolute bare minimum and they should be doing a little bit better now. Like, he should just be able to say, well, I fell in love with another man if that was what happened, not just beating around the bush. I do think that representation matters. But then when I think of someone like um, Dan Levy, is it Dan Levy? The creator of Schitt's Creek, who has gone on and he's... He's appeared as a gay best friend in a couple of things, but it's been in gay-centric movies. Mm. So it's sort of not diminished it, but it, it's it's taken away the quote-unquote shock factor of having a gay character in there. Mm. Um, it, it's something that needs to be moved, moved away from and not give us the gay best friend, but just give us the gay lead character. Yeah. It's fine. You know, we, I think we're mostly enlightened. And those who aren't may be seeing themselves on screen but it just so happens that that person is gay that will help them become enlightened so i think there's more to be done yeah you, your end point there is exactly how i feel about it in that there's absolutely you know there, there is a need and a demand and, and a moral obligation to have um more diversity and we should do that but i think the gay best friend has always been no pun intended the butt of um the butt of the joke mm-hmm. in in a lot of movies especially in like the 90s um, whereas actually they would be the jester or they would be the the one that we laugh at, not with. Um, whereas now I think if, you know, it doesn't, you know, the LGBTQ plus, they don't always have to be, you know, Yaz Queen. They don't always have to be campers. Like the world mm. doesn't exist like that. The gay best friend nearly always is. And I think it, you'd feel very alienated if you fell into one of those um, categories at the moment or at least in, in recent memory. Um, so I just think that, it almost needs to be the case. Who was that wrestler who who came out and it was like really sick, like super blase? Darren Young, I think it was. Yes. When yeah. he did his like coming out video, it was super like, yeah, I'm gay and that's that. And then he was no different. He was no different on screen. He was no different as a character. Like, I think there's definitely a ne- you know a need and a want, and there should be. But actually, why be the gay best friend? And like you say, was it wouldn't matter. You know, it it, it doesn't matter if. I understand if it's if it's a romance film or something like that, then it's going to obviously play a part of the plot. Um, but I think you know, as long as they, as long as that gay best friend character isn't used as someone to laugh at 
not with it's fine mm. yeah I think that's completely fair what were you thinking with it Dave when you were you no were I, asked I, 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 I appreciate when I sent this question I was like this is like you said Andy it's a difficult one for us to fully <laughs> go with because um, in our circumstances but I mean, I kind of fully agree with what you're all saying. I think it's kind of more as well, what, touching on what Matt was saying as well, in terms of as films, we need to, you know, not only have more representation in leading roles um, for, you know, for, for that for the community, but also it shouldn't be in a sense of, oh, you know, here's a film about a gay couple. It should be that is the film, if that makes sense. It shouldn't, the mm-hmm. focus shouldn't be on, oh, because it's about, you know, um, a, a trans, you know, a transgender person's, you know, perhaps is the is the lead role. It should just be that is the role, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, just so we can uh, bring that dive, you know, that representation even further forward. So I just think it's more about now stepping away from it being a supporting role to being lead roles and showing more stories in cinema that we we can open up to now more, far more stories than that we and understanding. That you know, that perhaps the, the communities and the struggles more than we perhaps don't even realise. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, like over the last couple of years, I think there have been a couple of really good, funny, romantic comedies, which are about gay people, and it's the fact that they're gay is sort of irrelevant mm. to to the the whole thing. It's just that it's a good comedy. So, Love Simon, I think, was a really interesting one and it was a coming of age one as well so I think that'd be a really good one for, for people to see and the other one is the happiest season which was Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis play a couple um one of them's in the, yes. the closets for the parents and it, yeah. it's a fantastic Christmas film which I don't say lightly because you know I hate Christmas <laughs> films but I'll be watching that again this year because I thought it was fucking superb so like I think there's some some companies are starting to make steps. I think Disney need to do more. Mm. And because Disney are the market leader, once they finally make that that real proper step towards it, I think a lot will follow. Is that with the thing with Disney? Is it unfortunately is the reason why perhaps they still haven't took that step forward because of the Chinese market? I think there is probably something of that. And yeah. I think there's also something of conservative mid-America attitudes yeah. towards it i think they're um they know their base and they don't want to risk not making a billion dollars because that's more important than making people yeah. feel accepted apparently yeah so that's us done for this week oh dave have you listened to last week's episode yet the episode where matt interviewed our local independent cinema the lighthouse I did, and I really enjoyed it. I think I put a tweet out about it. I thought it was really, really good. I would recommend people to go listen to that one. Yeah. My issue now will be, so I'm, obviously I want to do this as a as a, an industry in general, so not just independent cinema, but I don't know how I'm going to do like a Cineworld-esque cinema if I ever get the interview and not be a massive bastard to them. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. you're an evil, you're, you're an evil corporation. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. How you know um, killed many babies today? Um, like, I just don't know how I'm gonna how, how I'm gonna do it, but well, I'm sure I'll find a way. Yeah, I thought I, just, I thought just, Kelly was excellent on it. I thought she was really good. Like she, she could tell she loved what she does. Yeah. And that was great to hear. I really like that. There was a bit in the interview where she, uh, she talked about how there was a real 
community centre to it to the point where after the film, I think they'd set up areas that people could meet and have a drink and discuss. And I think that's what's so important about independent cinema, isn't it? Is that, you know, it is this place that people from all walks of life can meet and and talk about the, the, the films they love. Whereas obviously with big cinemas, you go in, you go out, that's it, isn't it? It's mm. yeah. no community sense about it. And I think that's what is so good about it. That, you know, that, yeah. that, that real sense of community. Yeah. I mean, me and the other half went to see Pig on Saturday night. And when we got there, like she'd ordered the ticket. So she gave him the reference number. And whilst he was punching it up, he was having a conversation with us. Like we were human beings and not just customers. Like, you don't get that when you go to other places. And when we'd left, uh, like he came out to say goodbye to us. And it's just small things like that, I think, make such a big difference. And I think that's why independent cinemas are important mm. because they, they are a community thing and we do need to try and support them best we can. Because money isn't going very far thanks to this government, unfortunately. But yep, so that's still available in the archives last week's episode. I fully recommend you check it out. Next week, we are doing our picture part on Stolen, which is a film starring, obviously, Nicolas Cage, where he plays an ex-con who ends up on a flying implement and he buys his daughter a fluffy teddy. And it's also directed by the same director as Con Air. So there are one or two similarities you may find. If I remember correctly, it's available on Amazon Prime, but do check justwatch.com just to see where it's streaming in your neck of the woods. So please make sure that you're subscribed. And as you're subscribed, please make sure that you can leave us a five-star review because that would really, really help us out. Make sure you've got us on the Twitter at CageFightingPod and any emails to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. So for this week... Dave, would you like to say goodbye? I'll say goodbye. Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. And it's goodbye from me. And remember... Oh, and this really threw me, Matt, when you said it last week, when I was listening. Be excellent to each other. (laughs) 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 